Welcome to the Upstream Public Health Podcast, Thinking Upstream, where we talk about the prevention issues of the day. Now, your host, Jill Hudson. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our Thinking Upstream listeners. I'm really excited to be Uh, sharing uh, great information with you today here on our podcast. Um, So I have a fabulous guest. I am here with Leanne Ferguson, and Leanne is with the um, Oregon Department of Transportation Safe Routes to Schools program. Hello, Leanne. Hello, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk about this topic today. Um, Yeah, me too. Good, good. So, uh, how do people get to school? How do kids get to school? This is a, uh, it's actually a really interesting question. Um, and I, um, in my day job, when I'm, when I'm not podcasting, which is actually fairly seldom, um, I do facilitation with groups, um, sometimes small groups, sometimes large group. And if I have a small group, sometimes as an icebreaker, I ask them to think back to their childhood and um, tell us how they got to school in the morning. And it's a fascinating exercise. Um, It brings in culture, it brings in age and um, environment and a lot of different things. Um, And it's it's actually a really good way to um, start a conversation and also to bring in some other themes around uh, where we are right now with the way our environments are set up for walking and biking, et cetera. And um, I'm so excited to talk to you about this because this is your day job, thinking about these things. So tell us a little bit about uh, Safe Routes to Schools um, and uh, share anything that you think think is the most important or interesting thing that you would want our listeners to know. So um, thank you very much. For that uh, introduction to the topic, I also have asked uh, groups of room that question before. And one thing that I generally notice is that people generally get a big smile on their face yeah. when they think back to the adventures that they had when <laughs> walking or biking to school with their friends. Because that was sort of the tradition, one of the tradition, one of the main traditional ways to get to school. Um, 50, uh, 60, 70 years ago now. So um, what we've seen is that uh, that number significantly dropped to about, um, uh, I think the national average is about 10% of children uh, now walk and bike to school. Wow. And what, say for us, uh, yeah, so it's been a significant decrease due to Honestly, due to a number of things, uh, more vehicles driving faster on wide, increasingly wider roads, um, uh, the morning routine being so fast and everyone being super scheduled out, uh, both parents working uh, a lot in a lot of cases um, now uh, versus, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, uh, so uh, there's a there's a big perception of, of stranger danger um, it, that that sort of came up in the 80s and 90s. That is something that uh, has really caused parents to want to keep their kids inside their house or inside their car and watch them walk from one place to another. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these things 
are perceptions and a lot of these things are um, sort of on the ground uh, realities. Uh, so we've just seen a significant drop in uh, kids that are that are able to and can and do walk and bike to school. So what Safe Routes to School um, is is it's sort of a movement that combines a bunch of different tactics to help families have more options to get to school. So uh, what this can help address is things like uh, health of students, um, students who are able to walk or bike to school get significantly more of their daily exercise needs met uh, at a time when we see uh, less exercise, kids getting less and less exercise during school as well as before and after school. It provides uh, a, a solution to congestion and to climate change. Uh, you're not needing to use a vehicle every day. Uh, Safe Routes to School also does promote carpooling and other and other ways to just just reduce that single drive alone option for families, or or, or give them other options that don't have to choose that one every day. And the uh, another one is the freedom that it allows students to really learn where they live in relationship to other places. It creates habits that they can now navigate streets. They can. Um, navigate intersections. They know how to read a map. They know where they are in, in location, in, in reference to other locations around them. Uh, there's a lot of freedom in that. They can then uh, take those skills and uh, maybe go to the grocery store for their parents, or walk their younger brothers and sisters to school, or really start to play a, a more uh, independent role uh, in the family. Um, and there was one more that I was going to talk about. Oh, transportation choices as a uh, as one solution to some of the systemic racism and systemic uh, sort of under-resourced communities that we've seen to uh, give people more safe options so that if they miss the school bus, they have another way to get to school or things along that line. We see that that is a huge issue in um uh, chronic absenteeism, uh, which is directly linked to high school graduation rates, which Oregon doesn't really have good graduation rates. So the Oregon Department of Education has really done a lot of studying on why are kids not getting to school. And there's a bunch of different reasons for that. But one of them is transportation. Like if you miss the bus, if your parents can't take you, you just don't go. And that is directly related to students' ability to be able to graduate and then get all of the resources and step up in life to graduating from high school gives you in, in, in our in our society. So those are <laughs> that was kind of a long winded way to talk about the, the reasons behind safe routes to school, the reasons why in uh, two thousand and five the federal government dedicated some some federal transportation funds to safe routes to school. And those were actually given out to states based on obesity rates. So it was originally started as sort of a health push to um, help students safely get a little get that more exercise every day so that they show up to school ready to learn. Um, and what was learned over time is that safe routes to school also affects all of those other pieces that I already talked about. So in 2005, Oregon got a chunk of funding for uh, safe routes to school with some guidance on how to spend it. The guidance was to spend about 70% of it or so on construction projects within a one mile radius of schools that really addresses the, the on the ground safety needs. So what that looks like a sidewalk infill, crosswalks, 
rapid flashing beacons, pedestrian islands, a lot of the things that you think of as safe, uh, safe uh, ways for kids to get to school. That's what that that seventy percent was for, and then thirty percent was recommended to spend on education and encouragement programs, things like bike safety classes for students. Um, so that they can learn how to ride a bike safely, pedestrian safety classes, as well as things like walk and bike to school day, which is an encouragement event that uh, you may have seen in your neighborhood or, or, or a student that you know of may have participated in this before. It's a one-day event or a month-long event that uh, really encourages and celebrates uh, walking and biking to school to try to address some of the more like some of the social norms that we've that we've created around that uh, to let people see that they, they can do it every once in a while whenever it whenever it works for their schedule so you definitely can can give it a try what's so interesting is as you said like bringing in all of these different components uh, some of these smaller changes can really make a big impact in in communities um, I do want to talk though ab about the um, physical activity and the daily exercise aspect of this. So, so as you know, um, I think Upstream Public Health is really focused on weight-based chronic disease and trying to reduce um, uh, obesity in our state. Can you tell us more about how Safe Routes to Schools um, helps kids with their um, caloric intake and exercise? Yeah, so Safe Routes to School provides the opportunity for students to be able to choose walking and biking. And what we know is that when the uh, construction projects of the sidewalks and the, and the crosswalks are there, and when students have access to an education program on how to use those things um, and get practice on them, we generally see about a 40% increase in students walking and biking to school. So, um, so what we know is that when when you do those things, uh, it, it really helps change the behavior. So students getting fifteen minutes of exercise in the morning and fifteen percent of that, fifteen minutes of exercise in their after in the afternoon really provides a significant uh, amount of exercise. Um, I forget what the exact uh, uh, percentage is, but it's something like they get they're getting like 60% of their daily needed exercise. And um, so it really helps uh, add that habit into their, into their day. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Also, if they're not able to walk and bike to school, they might be able to walk or bike to the grocery store or mm -hmm. do some errands or maybe on one of their weekend trips, really trying to set up a pattern for uh through adulthood mm -hmm. to be able to build that exercise in during the day. I mean, know that's how people get exercise. It's when it's built into their regular daily routine. Yeah, yeah. So, so starting those starting those habits early. Mm -hmm. um, and what folks find is that in general, students perform better at school when they've had that exercise in the morning. Mm -hmm. So um, those are those are a lot of the really great health benefits. Uh, another side note that folks don't actually think of a lot is when you reduce the congestion out in front of the school, you significantly increase the air quality. Mm -hmm. So parents who are driving their schools are actually like making the air toxic around the schools when they're, when they're dropping kids off and idling out in front. So uh, it, it significantly increases the air quality around the school as well, which, which affects the student health. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So, it, and it sounds like what I hear you saying is that, you know, if um, a fourth grader uh, is, uh, should be getting 45 minutes of physical activity a day, they can really get those minutes in um, on the way to and from school and really augment whatever the school is able to provide in the form of uh, physical education and physical activity at school. Um, so what needs to be in place in order for that to happen? So uh, in, in general, we know that two things, uh, two, two big, big major components need to be there. The built environment, which means like the, the, the street safety. So the, the sidewalks need to be there for the kids to walk on. The crosswalks need to be in the right place for the kids to be able to cross streets. There need to be, um, uh, depending on the situation, there need to be safety features there that allows for students to be able to walk and bike to school uh, safely and uh, separated from traffic in a way that, that, is, that is safe for them. Um, and the second piece that needs to be there is uh, this education and encouragement component, which generally includes, which, well, what, what we've seen work in Oregon is uh, includes some sort of um, education program, either like during the school day, either in PE class or in some sort of health class to that, that that provides bicycle and pedestrian safety education to students. Uh, generally, we see that um, pedestrian safety done in like elementary school, maybe second through fourth grade. And we've seen bike safety happen in, in elementary to middle school, like that fifth through eighth grade um, uh, age group. And those classes are hands-on. They take the kids outside, work with them in intersections, practicing. Um, the bike safety curriculum that we've used a lot is a really a 10 hour curriculum total. So by the end of those 10 hours, students are really um, feel a lot more confident on a, on a bicycle and go home and tell their parents how, how confident they are, teach them all the hand signals. And what we generally see is those classes kind of act as swim lessons for parents, where if you give your kids swim lessons and they graduate or they, pass, they, they, they get to the end, you generally feel more comfortable with your kids swimming mm -hmm. in the pool. Yeah. You remember yeah. when you were little, you got those, I got, they got a patch whenever mm -hmm. I passed the swim test yeah. that let me swim in the deep end. Yeah. And so my mom knew it was okay. Um, we see that same type of thing happen. Um, uh, I think a lot of, I think they show, the kids need the, the, the education, but also the parents need the encouragement to, to be able to say like, yeah, they, they know, they know it. They can get out. They can, they can use these skills in their community to get to, or to the park or to their first job or um, all of all of those pieces. So we see the education and the encouragement piece really address the things like uh, worry about um, kids, your kid not knowing how to, how to get somewhere. Um, it also, the encouragement piece is often addressed things like the stranger danger piece, which um, uh, we, we actually know it's safer for kids to be out and about now. Um, it's very unlikely that there will that 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 kids get snatched on the way to school. It's very unlikely, but it's still like a huge fear. And I mean, like I know and love kids, and I know what that fear feels like. Um, but what we've seen to, that addresses that that fear is that um, once families are out and doing it, and they 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 do it for for 
for a couple weeks in a row, they see that really who you see out there are your neighbors that you that you wave to, you get to know people like, and in general, people are, are nice and supportive, and it's great to interact with them on the way to school. So the more those positive experiences happen, the more it outweighs the negative fear that you've seen on television or remember from your past or, 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 or past past watching watching television or news stories um, from when you were younger. So um, so those encouragement of events really help with um, just letting families try it out, uh, seeing that it's, it's the, the, the dangers that that we think are there aren't actually as heavy as the benefits of watching your kids smile as they, you know, like find a worm on the side of the sidewalk or, or like find a flower that they haven't seen before or see their friends yeah, or yeah. walk by their grandma's house. Like those, those benefits are so much more tangible mm-hmm. than the, than the fears. Yeah. Yeah. So those two things together, it's the, it's the education encouragement as well as the built environment, the construction projects that uh, when happen when they happen at the same time. So um, how do schools, so how do schools take on these construction environments? How do, how does that happen? I mean, the education is that's, that that so, sounds pretty straightforward to me. Um, and yeah, but but how do you how do you fix the built environment? So um, the state uh, ODOT has a pot of funding that was set aside in twenty seventeen. Um, year uh, that started in 2017 and I set aside yearly for safe routes to school and it's $10 million a year and it increases to $15 million in 2023. Um, so that's a great start and that funding is used for a grant program where cities and counties work directly with their school communities to identify some of these, these high need projects and uh, then they can apply for grant funding through a competitive process and then we allocate that funding out every two years or so. We batch the uh, pot of funding together to make a big pot and, um, and allocate some of, some of it out to, or all of it out to um, cities and counties. So if a so, school knows uh, what, of a project... What constitutes, they can, what constitutes a, a high-need project? Uh, generally, it, we take into account safety and social equity. So mm-hmm. okay. we're prioritizing projects at low-income schools where 40% or more of the students are eligible for free and reduced lunch. And the safety criteria generally has to do with how fast is the speed on the road, how many cars are driving on it, what is the crossing distance from like curb to curb, and uh, what is the history of crashes. Okay. All right. So... Those those projects get prioritized, and they can apply for funding and um, potentially receive funding in order to make it uh, safer, um, more appealing, more feasible for kids to either walk or bike to school. That's that's awesome. How many how many of these projects have happened in Oregon? So the first round, uh, we, we got to fund the first round at the beginning of 2019, and we allocated about 15 million dollars to 24 okay. projects. Two of those projects I finished. We've got a sidewalk, a new sidewalk in Lagrand, and a new sidewalk in Terrebonne. Um, are the two projects that are done, and we anticipate the other uh, 22 projects uh, being complete in the next like three years. Uh, these two got done pretty quickly. The, the the stipulation for the funding is that they complete the projects within five years, mm-hmm. but most of them are getting them done pretty, uh, mm-hmm. or at least getting started, and these two got done pretty quickly. 
Um, and then we'll have, uh, for that round of funding, uh, though I want to note that there were about $84 million worth of applicants um, wow. all applying for great projects, and we could only fund 15, uh, $15.6 15. of them. So uh, we know that there's a huge need out there and that we're, we're starting to chip away with it with this fund, but I anticipate the next cycle, which will be open in, the, in this coming summer of 2020, uh, that we'll have a lot of applications at well, and it'll be a tough decision to to, um, to 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 not fund some projects, but really and really try to celebrate the ones that we are able to mm -hmm. fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there other ways to get money to fund the program? Yeah, so there's a lot of um, uh, uh, basically it would be up to the local uh, jurisdiction to to set aside funds for safe routes to school. Uh, we see that happened in um, in the city of Portland a couple of years ago. They, they uh, got some funding for safe routes to school through a local measure. Um, uh, there are definitely other local entities that are that are funding safe routes to school projects locally. So, but it's all it's generally always through there the, the mm -hmm. transportation or public works of that of that community. Whoever owns the road generally called the road authority whoever mm -hmm. is the road authority is probably constantly looking for funds to um to do any sort of road project and in some instances they'll be prioritizing the uh, projects near schools very cool then that some localities are taking in this on um and so exciting to hear that there are funds um being used in this way that creates an environment because we know how important environment is in health uh, that that starts to really that set that physical environment to make it uh, more possible and more feasible and more enjoyable to to get to school but then I mean I think what you've been saying this whole time is it's not just getting to and from school it means that you can more easily get to the, the supermarket you can more easily ride your bike to your friend's house um, adults are more you, it's more fun to walk your dog etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, that just sounds amazing what um, I want to talk a little bit now about uh, the what outcomes would you anticipate in terms of again with it with a focus on health what you've outlined the importance what what do you think um, you would expect to see in terms of improved health um, across the state in students, in their parents. Um, what are your goals there? That's a really good question. Um, the I think the goals for the program are just simply to, uh, to, to get more kids out walking and biking. Um, but really how, how we can do that from the transportation angle is just by providing them the option um, and encouraging folks to choose to be able to, to give them everything they need to be able to choose that option um, uh, and and there are certain and like I was saying there are certain ways that we know that when you put those things together uh, the, the education and and the construction projects uh, you generally see people being able to choose that option more um, I think that my for me for me personally um, uh, I would say for ODOT, for ODOT, there's a there's a goal around connection and and uh, helping them connect with their with their environment and other people around them and and doing that safely. 
for me personally, I definitely come at this from from a health angle. I got into it from a health angle. My background's in um, education, and um, I was starting to see the effects of uh, kids not getting enough not getting enough exercise in the classroom. Um, or during the school day and that they need it in other ways and um, and and starting to really to, to see that effect so mm-hmm. um, from from me personally a goal of the program is to help students set up healthy habits that will help them succeed in life yeah and um, and to and to be healthier feel healthier um, um, have have more resilience um, reduce the stress and anxiety, um, show up to school ready to learn. So all of those are, are things that I personally uh, um, hold as reasons for getting up in the morning and, and coming to work <laughs> and trying to address some of these issues. Um, and ODOT has a larger sort of like increased health like, uh, like goal, and, and we can do that by providing options for students to be able to walk them back to school. When it comes to health metrics, that's actually really hard. I have yeah. a meeting with the Oregon, some folks at the Oregon Health Authority in a couple of weeks, and we just have someone we invited to be on our advisory committee for Safe Routes to School for the state to really help dig into like what are the health metrics around Safe Routes to School, seeing as getting sort of a statewide count of how many students are walking and biking is actually a really hard number to get and would require a significant yeah. amount of resources. And I don't know if we actually need that number or not. Um, That's so, a good question. <laughs> uh, so we're in a learning, we're in a learning curve. If anybody listening to this podcast has an idea about a measure health and like a, a, a pretty simple way that, that we can, that we can use, that would be great. Just let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I throw that all call out there as well. If anybody listening to this podcast has any ideas about that or, uh, funding for that, um, or is working on an interesting master's or PhD or baccalaureate project, um, contact Upstream and we'll get you in touch uh, with Leanne. Um, so uh, I want to wrap up here with um, I, I telling you how much I learned today about this program. Um, I've, I've known about Safe Routes for Schools and um, what I'm most struck by is the comprehensive benefits that can come from a program like this. And um, I'm also really impressed with the foresight to not only do half of the program, which would be just encouraging and teaching people how to ride and bike, but also to build the environment that makes that feasible and possible, um, which I think is where things get hard for us because those things are tricky and expensive and um, very difficult to navigate. So uh, my hat's off to the uh, Department of Transportation and all the partners around the state who are who are working to make safe routes to schools, uh, the the program that it is, and um, and hopefully it can just you know keep getting better and better so that every kid in the state um, and uh, every family and every elderly person has an option to walk out of their door and safely um, connect with their neighborhood. So uh, hats off on that. Um, is there anything else that you want to say um, about Safe Routes to School as we're wrapping up here? 
I would say if you are listening to the podcast and you're thinking, oh, I have a, I have a spot, I have, I have, a, I have a spot that is a barrier for us, and we can't walk back to school because of this spot. Um, if you're a parent, probably the best person to go to is your principal, uh, and then recommend that your principal call your city um, or whoever owns the road. If you don't know who owns the road, try the city or the county. Um, we will have another grant application. Uh, I, like I said, do in the summer of 2020 and the um, cities and counties need to apply for that with support from the school district. So they might be looking for projects that, 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 um, that are a barrier for students walking and biking to school. So, so contact your principal, have your principal contact the city or the county and say like, we've got some needs and that there is a grant program coming up in the summer of 2020 where we can apply to get these projects. Um, completed. So um, that's what I would hope people could remember. Just like there is an opportunity coming up. Um, and if you're interested in starting an education or encouragement program at your school, you can Google Oregon Safe Routes to School. And there's a great website that has a lot of resources on it for curriculum and how to run a walk and bike to school day and um, all kinds of all kinds of ways to get involved. That's awesome, Leanne. And thanks for the specific instruction, because I think that's really helpful. So it's Googling Safe Routes to School, Safe Routes to Schools, Oregon, and it'll come up. Um, yes. Right? And then um, go to your yes. principal, work with your principal, um, uh, or whoever uh, she designates. Um, and uh, you could be involved in getting uh, getting the problem fixed. So, uh, very yeah. good advice. <laughs> and I hope, I hope our listeners will, um, take that to heart. Um, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And, um, I have a feeling I'm going to be Googling safe routes to schools, Oregon, so that I can bone <laughs> up on this and, and learn about all the amazing, you know, learn a little bit more about all the amazing benefits that you talked about. This, this is one of those things that once you scratch the surface, it just keeps getting better and better. So thank you for, mm -hmm. for, for teaching us about that today. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. I can talk about this forever as you have <laughs> learned on this podcast and my, my, my spouse will attest to it's all I ever want to talk about. <laughs> I can get really long with it. So thanks for having me. Anytime I'd be happy to come back and talk more about this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds great. Um, Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you. This has been the Upstream Public Health Podcast. Thinking Upstream. Please visit us at upstreampublichealth.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash upstreampublichealth.